What's up? This is Bakari Sellers, and this is the Bakari Sellers podcast. And today, I have the famous and most favorite Robinson brother. You know, he's the brother of our forever first lady, Michelle Obama. His name is Craig Robinson, and I absolutely love him. This is going to be a very, very special episode. Thank you so much for joining us. Before I get into that, before I delve in and talk about it a little bit more, I just want to give a shout out to my good friend, Andrew Gillum. He's my brother. I love him. Him and RJ did something this week, which should not go unnoticed, which is to show you what true love is, to stand with each other, to love each other, to adore each other, and to stick with each other no matter what happens. So shout out to Andrew. Shout out to RJ. Shout out to everyone who's going through things throughout this COVID period, but who come out on top. You know, today is a special day because I have Craig Robinson on the show, and I'm so excited to get into this episode. But I want to remind everyone, if you don't come out of this season of COVID spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and physically healthier than you went in, then you can't help us in this movement going forward. So Shout out to everyone, particularly Andrew and RJ. Shout out to everyone, including their family in particular. And let's get into another episode of the Bakari Sellers podcast. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA, I make calls, I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it, you can work out in it, you can go outside, you can go shopping down in your local wherever, and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. You know, this is a special episode of the Bakari Sellers podcast and Craig Robinson, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us today. And joining us on the Bakari Sellers podcast with everything going on in the world. I know we talked about it briefly off air, but simply, how are you doing, man? <laughs> well, first of all, I I want to I want to thank you for having me on your show, and I'm so excited. I know it's relatively new, but you're uh, kicking butt already, and uh, I am doing just fine. Right, I just started a new gig about two months ago, 
and it feels like I have been working here for a year. <laughs> <laughs> if that gives you any any uh, indication, but I, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. My family's healthy, and you know we are safe, and uh, just trying to trying to be out here doing stuff as usual. And listen, that's about all we can do, but. You know, most people don't know that the way that I feel about you when I describe you is that you've done it all. You've worked in corporate finance, you've been a coach, and now you're in the MBA in a front office. Talk about the various stops in the arc of your career from finishing Princeton to the work that you're doing now. Yeah, it has been a whirlwind, really. And, you know, I I couldn't really talk a lot about it without saying that I would not be here if it weren't for my parents, you know, and neither one of them were college graduates right so i mean they, you got a little you 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 are you got some <laughs> south carolina blood in you now we're not I, gonna I, let that we're we, not gonna we, let that georgetown we, county we know georgetown, that already town <laughs> georgetown and myrtle beach yes uh so we we've we, i got some south carolina roots as, as a matter of fact one of my first plane trips was to columbia south carolina when i came down to visit relatives when i was like 10 years old um and, uh, you know, my dad's side of the family's from Georgetown. And, you know, I w- I've just been really fortunate to have good parents who gave us unconditional love and kind of pointed me in the right direction, which meant school, sports, stay out of trouble. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, and that's what, you know, my sister and I talk about this all the time. There were plenty of kids that we grew up with who could do what we did. They of course, just you're not you're not special. You're not atypical, right? No, no, not at all. And uh, so, because of the, my parents were the way they were, I I was able to be a good student and a good athlete, and got an opportunity to play to to go to Princeton and play. And from there, I went from Princeton. I got drafted by the Sixers, got cut, went overseas, played a couple of years, and when I came back, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And a dear friend of mine who I played with a year in college at Princeton, John Rogers, who runs aerial mutual funds, um, said, you should take a look at this financial field. And, you know, my dad worked for the city. My mom was a secretary. So I was like, sure, what the heck? And, you know, a couple of years later, I'm working as a stockbroker thinking about how I can go back to business school so I can be on the institutional side and be a bond trader. And uh, I went back to school, went to University of Chicago Business School, and then uh, ended up working the next, oh man, 13 years in corporate America in investment oh. banking. And with my last stint in banking coming, working for Loop Capital Markets, which was a minority-owned oh, investment I, I, bank. I'm, one I'm of familiar years. with those. I'm familiar with those guys up there in Chicago yeah, at Loop Capital. Yeah. Good guys. So Jim Reynolds is a good friend of mine and, and asked me to come over and start the fixed income division for him. And I did and, and got it up and running. And right when we were about to take off, I got an offer that any former basketball coach would had to take a hard look at, even though my friends thought I was going through a midlife crisis. I got offered the assistant coaching position at Northwestern University. And I remember going into Jim's office and, and Jim being the capitalist that he is, he was like, man, Craig, how much do those assistant coaching jobs pay? <laughs> and I said, not much. And he said, well, I understand. And, you know, he held a spot open for me in case I changed my mind. That's the kind of brother he is. He, he, he just knew I was not going to be long in this 
And then I went from there and that started my coaching career. And I spent six years as an assistant coach at Northwestern uh, and then got a head coaching job. My first head coaching job at Brown University, stayed at Brown for a couple of years and then I got a head coaching job at Oregon State and stayed there for six years. And then mm-hmm. when I left there, I worked for ESPN for a couple of years. I, that, I missed that part. Okay. You missed that part. That that's that's not always in the, because it was <laughs> it was kind of stealthily because I got I got fired at Oregon State after a great uh, run it, there. After and, you didn't have enough time. I mean, I I put you in the same category as my friend at Florida State down there playing football, Willie Taggart. You just didn't have yeah. enough time to turn the program around. Yeah, and, and it was interesting because having been at Northwestern, I knew exactly how long it would take. Exactly. And I, I told them when I interviewed, look, this is going to take seven years. And I got fired after the sixth year. And the seventh year, guess what? They went to the tournament. Had players. So it just, it just, it, it, it just takes a while. But, you know, no hard feelings because it enabled me to, to, to do something that I had always been really interested in doing, and that was doing college basketball analysis on TV, which, you know, everybody thinks they can be on TV. And <laughs> I, I will tell you this, Bakari, you'll be able to appreciate this. So you've, you've heard all the wonderful things I've had an ability to do, right? I've been yeah. a, a college player, a pro player, a investment banker, trader, uh, went to two really good schools, coached Division one college basketball in the Pac-12. Everybody thought that me working at ESPN was the greatest job I ever had, and I was oh, just sitting on the side. The time. About, yeah, yeah, they got a chance to see yeah. you all the time. Yeah, and I got to tell you, man, as a coach, being able to sit and talk about basketball and not have to have the the stomach churning and yeah. responsibilities of worrying about winning or losing those were two of the best years of my life, and uh, and as a result from uh, of that. I got offered an opportunity to to join the front office of the Milwaukee Bucks, and I did that and moved over to the Knicks. We're going to talk about the Bucks and the Knicks because the Bucks had a disappointing season, (laughs) and they're going to have to spend some money if they're going to want to win, and we're going to talk about the Knicks because the Knicks are the the Knicks. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that in a minute. And you Uh, know, now, now I am the executive director of the National Association of Basketball Coaches, the NABC. So that's my newest job, which... Do you I have, have enough jobs, for, man? And you know what? And I you're tell not people, even, you didn't even mention that you're the first brother. Is that a task? I mean, I don't know. Yeah. If, is that a, I mean, <laughs> that's, I, I, that's, that's that's you know what that is? That's a cross to bear right there. That's a, that that's is a cross, cross to bear. bear. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine. Like my sister is the my sister's at the Veterans Hospital in Columbia. She just got a regional gig. Your sister is the former first lady of the United States. We're both way more talented and smarter than our sisters, but yet. They still, you know, they still carry this. They, they just still beat us up all the time. I let, mean, what is that about? Let me tell about? you something. Let me tell you something. My sister is 20 months younger than me, but everyone thinks she's older than I am because she was the first lady. And it's just, <laughs> it's unbelievable. And so I have, I have a couple you, you, you of You were Michelle just on stories. her show. You were just on her show recently. Shout out to the Michelle Obama podcast. Uh, yeah. That name, I think it, it, that name is about as original <laughs> as the Bakari Sellers podcast. But shout out, <laughs> shout, shout out to. That, hey, to, wait, welcome to being iconic. That's what y'all are. That's what y'all are. No, we're, we're definitely not. She, she is, she's in another stratosphere. But, and, and you are on her sibling I think they should call it sibling rivalry. I mean, I, I would vote. I would vote for you, but that's just my personal opinion. But talk to me about your relationship 
with the former first lady, how dope yeah, that is. Well, you know, we, we laugh and joke, but we have been close and were each other's first best friends from, from the get go, from the time she was born. And we've just remained close over the years. So, you know, to be able to watch her do all of the wonderful things she's done, both before the White House and during the White House and now after, I couldn't be any more proud of her than I am. And uh, and now she's ki- she's killing it on the podcast scene, man. I know, I mean, I know it's tough. I was like, man, what? <laughs> I just signed a contract to do a podcast and now you want to do one? And so I got to look at I'm always looking up. I, you know, the funny, you'll, you'll appreciate this. I had a book come out, My Vanishing Country, and, and we, were, we were talking about, my publisher and I, we were talking about, you know, making the New York Times bestsellers list. And I was, I was laughing and joking with them. And I said, you know, I just want to make the list. And they called me. I was on vacation. I made the list. And then I said, my next goal, I just want to beat Becoming. And then he, <laughs> my- Good luck. Yeah, exactly. That's it. <laughs> You sound, you sound like luck. my. I was like, "What? What human being does not have this book already? Every weekend and week out, it still was like number two, three, one, two, three, four. I was like, I'm never beat, and I didn't. So, yeah. Uh, but tell me about this show, y'all. Y'all got a show coming out, and you, you are, are you her final guest of the season? Well, actually, my mom and I are her final guests of the season. So we're gonna we're gonna spend some time talking about parenting and talking about. Uh, being kids growing up with my mom and her parenting and how we've taken her lessons and used them with our own children. Did you get and, a word uh, in? I mean, that sounds like you might not have got a word in in the episode. Oh, no. Oh, no. You see what? See that? Now, here's the one thing you don't know. And everybody knows now because it was it was on the first podcast. I am indeed my mom's favorite. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh yeah, I national. Love it. It's national. So oh, yeah. I got, I got to World, talk a whole It's worldwide. Lot. It's worldwide. Yeah, it's, worldwide. it's worldwide. Yeah. Worldwide. And she she's iconic, but I'm my mom's favorite. So um, no, we we, we we I got oh I definitely got a word in edgewise. But the two of them, it's just such a fun episode because we were reliving times as young kids and as teenagers, and then and then now we were talking to my mom. As, as we're the adults and she's the one who we have to keep in line because she 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 claims that she's old and, and doesn't remember stuff and can do whatever she wants. She just wants to do whatever she wants. So uh, it's a it's a real it's a real fun episode. And yeah, I'm not in that battle. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm I'm on her side. Of, I'm on her side of that. She gets to do whatever she wants to do. So yeah. but y'all, yeah, <laughs> yeah. y'all make sure y'all tune into this sounds like a, a an amazing episode. Let me let me talk to you real quick, though, because, you know, we, we basketball is cool. and. Uh, I mean, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a former, I former, we're, we're going to get back in the league in October, but I'm a two-time lifetime fitness MVP, a perennial all-star in the adult league, go. in the adult there league. So I, I still and, have and it. And those, those of us who play know how serious those leagues are. Oh, so yes, you, yes. I ain't sleeping on you. I am not yeah. sleeping on you. So we still, we still here, but one of the things, and, and you are the first brother, but one of the things of our forever floatus, shout out again to. Uh, Michelle Obama and your beautiful mother. But one of the things that stuck out to me is your time at Loop Capital, man. So we talk a lot about access to capital and minority business. So talk about how important Black-owned financial institutions like Loop are in addressing capital access issues for Black businesses and community development projects in Black communities. Yeah, Bakari, listen, it goes without saying that we as black folks have been held down and have been behind on a lot of fronts, but on the financial services front, we are 
woefully behind even today. And for the folks at Loop to have the foresight and the courage to start up their own firm some, oh man, now it's like 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and what Loop did, what Jim Reynolds did was he started a broker dealer, right? So he wasn't just managing people's money and not that just managing people's money is a just, but he was competing with the Morgan Stanleys of the world and the Merrill Lynch's and the Goldman Sachs and getting in deals. And what I found being the person who was representing the firm from a fixed income side, corporate America really back then were trying to find firms like Loop who they could bring under the tent and kind of raise them and show them. But they had um, to have their shit together too. But you had to have your game straight. You had yeah. to have your game straight. You can't come half stepping. And if I were to 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 say the lesson out of that for me, because I was I was young when this was going on, was that as we all know, when you're black, you have to come correct, right? Mm-hmm. You have to even come more than correct. And and we we did. And to Loop's credit. Everybody in that firm knew it and everybody came correct. You had to bring your A game. And then once you did that, and here's what's hard. This is hard to get across to players. It's hard to get across to coaches. hard to get across to people in corporate America. Once you have a little bit of success, having the next success is harder. It's not easier. And people tend to think it's easier and they, all right, I I made it. Now I can pull back a little bit. No, man, you have to increase your intensity you have to increase your skill set you have to always be getting better and loop was able to do that and uh it, you know it was so important for firms like that to get sort of started so that that they could set the example for all these folks who are coming up now this episode is brought to you by viore i love sports i know you do too i also know that lots of you exercise but if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA, I make calls, I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it, you can work out in it, you can go outside, you can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. So you have an interesting perspective because you, 
and especially, I mean, not only your your kind of financial services background, but you've also you've you played in college, you've been a coach, you've run a G League organization, you've seen the final product, you're in the NBA. How have changes in the college game, and we're moving we're moving on to to basketball here, but how have the changes in the college game, particularly the emergence of AAU and the one and done rule, how has that rippled through the program? I mean, what are you seeing? Is it? I mean, is the product becoming weaker? I mean, what what's happening? You know, that's a good question, Bakari. Because from where I sit, I don't think the product is becoming weaker. I just think there are more people who are better at it. So it feels like, in a relative sense, that it's getting weaker. But the competition is just tougher, and people want to take advantage of it, right? So the way the game has changed since I came up, and 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 this will this will make it clear for your listeners. If you can imagine, so 35, 40 years ago, I played in three AAU tournaments in a summer. Just three. That was it. That was it. it. Now kids are playing 70, 80 games in the summertime, Mm -hmm. right? And it's the game is moving away from an inner city game. Because of the training you need, the lessons, the fees that it costs to play AAU, it's turning into a middle-class game. And if you don't have the apparatus set up that can bring in the, the, the kids who don't have much, this game will turn into a, it'll, it'll have a wealth effect, right? Where if, you're not, if you don't have access to the skill development, you won't, you won't be good enough to play in the NBA. And then the second thing is I played all, I played different sports all the way up until I got to high school. You can't, you can't do that anymore. You can't do that now. You got to choose a sport and go. You got to choose a sport, specialize, go. And you got to hope your body doesn't break down because you have a finite number of games. Each of us has a finite number of games in their body. And if you use them up during your younger years, it's going to be hard to play in college, let alone in the pros. So I, that's where I see the game changing in the, um, the early focus and the overuse part, and then the economics of the game are changing. Why don't we just get rid of the one-and-done rule and let the G League function like the, the farm league does in baseball and let guys skip college if they want to and go straight to the G League and work their way to NBA rosters? Why, does the, why doesn't the NBA just do what we do in Major League Baseball? You know – so I have a couple of ideas on that because I was in that camp before I got to the NBA, right? And I and we, was like, they do the, they're doing the, the, I know they, they, they just signed a couple of kids to $375,000 contracts. And it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how that works out because I will tell you, I am here to tell you, having been, having run a G League team, that ain't for boys. No, those are grown men that, that are it's looking not to for survive. Boys. No, no, those are grown men who are looking to survive. That is their last and, meal chance. And that is why you're not seeing them play in the actual league. They have a team that's set up. They're going to play some exhibition games, but they can't put them in that league because they it, it will not go well. Every um, night. Every night with somebody yeah. will go at their throat. So because this I is think that's game. really the reason right now why you don't have it um, you don't have all these guys just go play pro because all of these college guys would think they are good enough to play pro and they would not be. And then they wouldn't have anything to fall back on. 
you know? So I, I was in that camp. Well, hey, why not let them just do it? I don't think it's for everybody. Not only do you have to be highly developed from a skill standpoint, you have to be highly developed from a physical standpoint, and you need to be highly developed from a psychological and emotional standpoint. So there's a lot there that needs to be unpacked before we can throw these guys out and have them play with. You know, I, I, I think about I think about Brandon Jennings, who was who was a special he, he was a special mind mind state going in. He had a long career. Of course, LeBron James. I, the reason I consider LeBron James to be the greatest basketball player of all time, you may disagree. And the only reason I put him at, at number one is because there has been no professional athlete who has had that level of expectation from that age and exceeded every step of the way. Yeah, I feel you on that. And I also wonder how many championships he would have won if he stayed in one place, too. Because if you're a purist like me when it comes to winning, like I think the GOAT has to be the guy, or at least the discussion of the greatest of all time, you have to consider how many championships a guy has won, and, and not just on the periphery, but was integral in the winning of those championships. I mean, so you, I mean, I don't mean to push back, but I do mean to push back. So you're, you're telling me that Robert Ory is one of the greatest players that ever played a game? No, he, no, I said integral. See, I think some of his, he was just on the, <laughs> on the fringes. I think Michael Jordan, though, was integral to all six of his championships. I hear and, you. I, I'm not going to integral to all of his championships. I'm not going to disagree with that, but to say that you can't name the starting five that LeBron James took, I believe it was to the 2007 NBA finals against the San Antonio Spurs. Yeah, but it's not it's not because they weren't good. It's just because he's changed so many teams. I have no idea what he oh was on. Oh my goodness. Working. I mean, you, you, no, that, it was it was because <laughs> you, you he had right into that one. You it was it was it was because his it, I mean, he had Eric Snow, Danielle Marshall, I get, Zydrunas I, I Ilgalskis, get it. Larry Hughes, Drew Gooden. But, like the, but then, then we got to start talking about the difference in the league and the rules between that time and this time too so you, it's you, i mean that, that's another show i'll come back I, on and we can, right, we can have right. a full-on discussion about but that before we get hit before we because <laughs> before we get knee deep in and it, it, this is really generational but before we get knee deep in the nba and before we transition to the nba talk to us about how much of a giant john thompson was to the college game generally oh and specifically oh, to listen. the community of black coaches i don't want to get too too far into your uh yeah. To, to your wrong assertions on LeBron James. Right, let's, talk, let's talk about John Thompson. <laughs> and and I, I love LeBron, and I think he's, he's, he's right up there. So I, the jury's still out. But, when, I mean, to he's get back to He's been in the league 17 Thompson, years. How is the jury still out? Because there's Michael Jordan. That's why. Because we're talking about him and Michael Jordan. That's why the jury's still out. But and Kobe let's and, get, Kobe let, and let, me, let me say something about John Thompson, because I will tell you this. <laughs> when I, you know... John Thompson's coaching career was right in my sweet spot of being mm -hmm. a player and growing up. And I got to tell you, the, the thing about John Thompson, John Thompson was one of those guys where when I, when I was coming along, I was like, man, I hope he recruits me. I mean, every brother wanted to play for Georgetown. And it was at a time where you didn't see many black head coaches in college basketball, and you didn't see as many confident outspoken black men talking about issues back then 
that were important to young black folks. And, you know, his focus on the development of young black men and his ability to articulate it to the rest of the world made him a hero to a lot of us and me included. And, and it started with prop 48. You know, I didn't, Mm -hmm. I see, I was one of those kids whose parents wouldn't let him play basketball unless he got good grades. So I had no idea there was this subset of people who didn't go to school and just played ball until he started talking about it and talking about how unfair Prop 48 was, how unfair standardized testing was. All of that stuff was foreign to me because it was almost like I grew up at a a different time, right? I mean, not at a different time, but in a different place from all of this stuff going on. And I was on the south side of Chicago and it was right around me, right? And then you put on top of that, that his teams played the way they played tough, fast, hard, didn't take any prisoners. It was really easy to be a young black man and be a fan of Georgetown. I mean, he just changed. He changed the whole game, didn't he? Oh, man. Oh, man. And, and so many him of and us John, him and John Cheney. Him and, he, he and John Cheney would have it, 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 we. All of us who are black and in, have been in college coaching would never have gotten a chance if it wasn't for the two of them. And folks didn't want them to be as outspoken as they were, yeah. which made it even harder for them. And, um, you know, we're, we're going to miss them. And I've gotten to know John Thompson III because he's a Princeton grad, Princeton, right? Yeah, we, didn't, he coached, we didn't play he together, but, yeah. but we've been friends. And, and it's been a tribute to sort of to get to know his dad from a, a little closer than I was when I was younger. So. Uh, we're we're all gonna miss him, and the game's gonna miss him tremendously. I know, just a, a true hero, a, a giant in the game. Uh, yeah, I know we we we're running short on time. This is a fun conversation. I want to talk to you about the New York Knicks, though. Yeah, um, tell tell me about your role in player development. What exactly does player development mean? I know people people talk about this all the time, but I mean, just generally, what does that role mean? Yeah. And, and it's done differently at different places. I mean, you got 30 teams in the NBA. It's probably done 26 different ways. But my role with the Knicks was I was in charge of the on and off the court player development. So I oversaw their development as basketball players from the front office aspect. So I wasn't on the court with them, but I was part of the evaluation process uh, between medical analytics playing time, practice time, strength and conditioning, all of the things that go into developing a player on the court, as well as being uh, the person who is responsible for their development off the court, you know, meeting with each player individually, helping them understand their role in the organization, their role in life, quasi-mentoring. You know, I tried not to make it a talk down to them. It was more talk with them. You know, we had leadership meetings with the young players. We had sort of, let's talk about parenting and relationships with some of the older players. I mean, you name it. We, you know, we tried to, we tried to give them as much unconditional, respectful love that we could both on and off the court. Well, you know, given your background, do you do much around helping players understand the opportunities for business ventures outside of basketball? I mean, is that some I mean, you have to be a unique resource for the Knicks. Yeah. You know, I try and do that. But it's it's really it's the world of professional athletes has really changed because all of these guys have specialists. Right. So, oh, yeah, yeah. A, a lot of them don't really want to be bothered with it. But for the ones who do, I was happy 
happy to talk to them about it. And, and they were very interested. You know, the guys who are interested are extremely interested. And, and that's what made me so unique because, you know, very rarely do you find somebody who has been a player and a coach and have worked on Wall, you know, at a Wall Street firm. And I even had done some media, which a lot of them wanted to do. So I could give them a lot of nuggets from my different experiences that I hope they found beneficial. How much will the NBA player development roles now evolve as more players are engaged in social and political activism? What kinds of programming will organizations engage in to support players that want to be more engaged politically and socially, as you see now? Yeah, I think it's going to depend on the ownerships, right? Like if the ownership is predisposed to being socially involved in the community, those teams will amplify what players are, are doing. You got a lot of teams who don't want to, they don't want any of that smoke, right? They don't want to mess around in that realm. So players have to do it on their own. And, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, I, I, I left my role before all of the social injustice stuff came to the real forefront. But there were discussions when I was still in the NBA about whether or not kneeling or coming out for the anthem was an option. And, you know, there were lots of discussions about it. And uh, it was it was just due to a, a rule that was collectively bargained that everybody had to be out for the anthem. But if it hadn't been collectively bargained, I believe there would have been a lot of guys who were kneeling or not coming out for the anthem. Oof. And it would have been a whole nother. Yeah. Yeah. So well, my- as we see now, everybody would just be apologizing now because Colin Kaepernick was just ahead of his time. He was, and uh, he should be remembered for that. He and Eric Reed, who deserves a yeah. uh, job. Well, I, I tell you, it's fun to be able to watch NFL football because, you know, I had been boycotting watching football until Colin Kaepernick either got proven to be right or got an apology or was back in the league. So this is my first year watching my Bears for a long time. You didn't miss nothing. Y'all drafted Mitch Trubisky. <laughs> You got that right. I, got, <laughs> yeah, I, I can't even front. I can't right, even my, front. La- my last question to you is, uh, I stole this question from Cedric Maxwell, who is one of the greatest NBA players of all time. Please tell me who is on your Mount Rushmore of sports. Of all sports? Yeah, or- all time. Yeah, this okay. ain't no easy question. No, this ain't an easy question. And Cedric is, uh, I've gotten to know him in the NBA. What a cool dude, man. Um, He's so cool. I, I got to start with, and, and a lot of people probably start with this one. Muhammad Ali is on. He's on my list. He's on mine. He's on mine. Um, boy, I don't know how anybody could have a Mount Rushmore. And see, I'm, I, see oh, this is hard because it's like not just basketball. So I got to pick my best basketball player. See, Kareem used to be my I guy who was on, my, on Mount, my, Mount Rushmore. And it. Especially, I mean, it's easy if you're doing just basketball. Um, gosh, you only got two more. Jackie spots Robinson, now. Jackie Robinson's so got to be I didn't on know. There. Did you do Jackie or Hank Aaron? See that that for me just threw a Willie so, Mays. I, so I, I was thinking of Willie and Hank, and I couldn't get a decision. So I went back to Jackie, who started it off for everybody. I got you. Now, my so fourth one, I'm not mad at that, but my fourth one, you're not going to choose this, and um, Michelle's going to beat you up for not choosing this one. But uh, my fourth one is going to be different than your fourth, so I'm going to let you go. Okay, let me go. Let me think, because I want to I wanna check off all the sports and make sure that I'm on to something. But all-time sports, you know, 
I don't know how you could have a Mount Rushmore without Arthur Ashe on there. See, I put Serena Williams. Oh, that's, yeah, that's smart. That's smart. See, you're younger than me. It's smart. See, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm just old. I've, and you know, I, got and too, you know, I got too many dudes in mind, but you are absolutely <laughs> right. You are absolutely right. Serena should be in there instead of Arthur Ashe. But we were on the same page with tennis. We were on the same page. And what puts you number five just purely on the, the field of athletics is probably Tiger Woods, Wayne Gretzky. There are a few people, Mike Tyson. Yeah, um, who just on the on the outskirts of what they've been yeah. able to accomplish. Yeah, yeah. So that's one. You know, we could go back and forth, but they, I, I like yours. I like yours. But that's interesting. We almost. So you had Hank Aaron instead of Jackie Robinson. I had Hank Aaron instead of Jackie okay. Robinson. All right, but you had Kareem. I of course I think Kareem and LeBron are the two greatest players of all time. Yeah, and I think Kareem's longevity, his unstoppableness, his championships put him put him up. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. And don't get me wrong, I'm not a LeBron hater at all. I just, I love me some Michael Jordan. And, and I, I've met both of them, but I know Michael more than I know LeBron. Oh, okay. yeah. Well, so I, I, I know feel, Michael just from the golf course, like being, and not even being on the course with him, but being around. Yeah. And now he's a, did you know Michael Jordan is now a competitive fisherman? It doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise <laughs> me. It doesn't surprise me. You wouldn't know this unless you really dug deeply, but when, when I was winning the, cha- winning the MVP of the Lifetime Health Clubs around <laughs> Chicago, a group of us, when he came back the second time, worked him out, helped him work out because he wanted to work out with some guys he knew wouldn't try and kill him. And, and he was so competitive in those workouts. I was like, see, this is the difference between... Oh, yeah, it's, it's special. It's a, another level. And he's so... What people don't give him enough credit for, he's so... He's he's highly intelligent. He's not just oh, smart. He's brilliant. He is highly intelligent, and it's just it's it's a treat being around him. Which is the same with LeBron. Well, See, LeBron, I can't the tell difference. Them, I, I can't I can't tell those two guys apart other than championships. That's really where I am. Well, I mean, LeBron did lead the league and assist this year with twelve, and he always makes the right basketball play. I hear you. Uh, they just they they both are special in their own way. So, but anyway, man, I I know you have so much to do. It's a it's a pleasure to finally get with you, man. Next time we got to get together on a golf course. I'm Tiger in the woods on the golf course. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, and, and imagine that you you will kill me because I don't even golf anymore. So I you you kill me in golf. Oh, but well, we got to get I, it I done. Could, I, I could spend four and a half hours walking around talking to you. There you go. Well, thank you for joining the Bakari Sellers podcast, man. Shout out to the Michelle Obama podcast. New guest on the show, uh, Mrs. Robinson's. Favorite, the favorite child of the family, uh, Craig, is joining them. So shout out to the Michelle Obama podcast. And we didn't even mention, um, she was she married uh, Barack Obama. Yeah, we didn't even yeah. mention him all day. <laughs> we, he didn't give, that, that's that's how that's how high up she is. He, he doesn't even Icon. Give I mean, they, we talk. I mean, we talk about Patty. <laughs> we talk about Janet, and we talk about Michelle. That's the way. The, that's the way the world turns right now. It's crazy. So. It's crazy, man. Well, thank you so much for having me, and uh, happy birthday coming up. By the way. Oh man, Friday. I'm taking a day off. I'm looking forward to it, man. Thank you yeah. so much for coming out, man. <laughs> All right, take care.